Attention, new agents. This is me, Dr. Byron Brimstone, director of the Omen. That's the Office for Occult Monitoring, Examination, and Negation. I'm here to give you a short intro into the adventures of the Omen Investigations team. Join us on a comedy role-playing podcast set in the modern world, where three agents travel the globe to deal with demons, cultists, and conspiracy theories. Follow the exploits of Koala Jackson, an amnesiac Australian with a dark history. Yeah. Annabelle St. John, a gun-sticking girl from the Deep South. Is it a gun coal or is it a pony coal? And Dr. Martin, a disgraced former professor from Sweden. I mean, I am from Sweden. If you like listening to people search for monsters, aliens, entities from beyond the void, and other such hoo-ha, then you should check out Omen Investigations on all good podcast apps. Bibstone out. Dolores, remind me why we're podcasting our top-secret operations again. Right. MacGyver, SG-1, Chapter 7, The Deeper Level The lights crawled up the wall through the vent as the elevator descended lower and lower under Cheyenne Mountain. MacGyver shifted on his feet as he tried to count how many levels under the surface he was. The silent military escort next to him was no help. Keeping his hands in his flight jacket, he leaned back on the wall and thought back. It had been a few weeks since the incident at the warehouse, and both he and his son Sam had to sign official non-disclosure agreements right on site once the military showed up. Jack assured him it was for the good of the country to stay quiet, and he'd know what he needed to know. When he needed to know it. After things had settled and a cover story was devised, they were released. Things ended oddly between Mac and his brother. Once the soldiers showed up, Jack was all business. He took charge and barked out orders causing even Carter to fall in line. Daniel did his best to keep MacGyver and his son occupied until they were questioned. However, once the papers were signed, They were loaded into vehicles and escorted home. Before the door closed, Jack abruptly assured him that he would be in touch soon. 
Mac could see Carter and Daniel behind him looking around uneasy. He knew they felt bad about the short goodbye, but they had something bigger to address. What that was, he wouldn't know. Life had settled down until his phone rang earlier this morning. It was his brother on the other line. Hey, there. Jack? Yeah. How you doing? Um, okay. What's up? Well, remember when I told you to hang tight with, you know, well, today, you get your answers. Before he knew it, he was being picked up by a United States airman and driven to the nearest airfield for a nonstop flight to Colorado. Now, he was on what felt like the longest elevator ride in his life. This wasn't the first underground bunker he'd visited, but he was sure it would be the most important. He was sure they were below NORAD by now. Suddenly, the elevator came to a stop, and the doors pulled open. The airman stepped ahead of him to lead the way. This way, sir. As he stepped out and was led down the right hallway, the troubleshooter looked up and around at his surroundings. So far, there wasn't anything too impressive. Every wall was solid gray, concrete, with only the occasional maintenance or office door to break it up. Above them were colored pipes that almost matched the colored direction lines that ran along the center of the floors. Soldiers from every branch of the military were coming and going from every direction, with the occasional confused look from those who met Mac's gaze. All he could do was give a polite smile in return before coming to a door towards the end of one of the halls. General, Mr. MacGyver for you. From behind a beautifully crafted wood desk, loaded with files and an intimidating red phone, rose a stocky, bald older man dressed in a short-sleeved light blue Air Force shirt. His blue epaulets on his shoulders held the gold stars of his rank. He had the aura of a man who had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yet, as he came around to greet him, his smile radiated the kindness of a grandfather. He reached out and shook his hand. Mr. MacGyver, nice to meet you. I'm General Hammond. Welcome to the SGC. Uh... Thanks. Nice to be here, I think. Here. Have a seat. The general made his way back around to the side of his desk as Mac sat in one of the two chairs facing him. The room was small, but adequate. He glanced to his right to look through the long window at a conference table and big black chairs. The window ran almost the length of the entire wall. Next to it was an entrance door left open. Clearly, there was a lot of important meetings in there, the civilian thought. So, any trouble on the way? Uh, well, the 
cavity search was a little much, but Mac wasn't sure how well his humor would go over. The general looked down with a smirk. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Not the laugh he was hoping for, but at least he wasn't mentioning how much he looked like Jack. You were in the army, correct, Mr. MacGyver? Mac shifted in his seat. Yeah, uh, Mac's fine. Uh, yeah, years ago. Do you ever have to keep any highly classified secrets? Well, I was part of a bomb demolition team. Nothing out of the ordinary. That part came more after in the private sector. Hammond patted the file on his desk. Yes, I've been reading about your previous work. Very impressive. Government contracts, DXS, the Phoenix Foundation. You worked under Peter Thornton, didn't you? Pete? Yeah. Pete was my best friend. He couldn't believe it had been two years since he had passed. I knew Peter. Back in our early military days. He was a good man. Mac lowered his head before looking back up at the general. Yes, sir, he was. The general paused before shifting topics. It's because of your history working top secret missions for the United States government that I've been given permission to grant you clearance on just what we do here. Mac leaned forward in a seat. Okay. During a dig in Giza in the late 1920s, an artifact was discovered known as the Stargate. Now this device creates a wormhole that allows people to travel to other planets. This facility is a top secret location run by the United States military that uses the device to search for advanced technology and defend this planet from hostile alien forces. Hammond paused as he saw MacGyver's brow furrow in confusion. It was a lot to digest. Um, I have questions. I'm sure you do, son. Aliens? The general continued. We believe that a parasitic race known as the Gua'ul planted these devices across the galaxy thousands of years ago. Then, used it to kidnap and transport millions of people from Earth to be their slaves. They even posed as ancient Egyptian gods in order to rule. MacGyver held his finger up to interject. Okay, um... <clears throat> why haven't we heard about them until now? The general nodded, anticipating the question. There was a rebellion by the indigenous people who had buried the gate, causing the Gua'ul to lose interest. Now, it stayed that way for thousands of years. Until you dug it up and got it running again, MacGyver interrupted. That is correct. The troubleshooter sat back and thought. This completely changed everything he thought about the world. How it worked and its history. 
His mind was racing. He had so many questions. Um, I saw what looked like rings take a couple soldiers up. Transport rings. Somehow, a small cargo ship entered the airspace at some point in the past. Now, these soldiers are called Jaffa. We have yet to find out what they wanted with that body they stole. Suddenly, a figure approached in the doorway. General? Dressed in his green BDU shirt and pants stood Jack, peeking his head into the room. It was more military than when he last saw his brother, but MacGyver could tell that Jack was comfortable in his daily base uniform. Jack, come in. I was just telling your brother about the Stargate program. Internally, Jack winced. He hadn't gotten to the point of thinking of Mac as his brother quite yet. Despite what they had gone through rescuing his son from Murdoch, it was still too weird for him. He reached out to shake hands as his twin got up. Hey, Mac. How you doing? Mind blown yet? Yeah, getting there. Returning the gesture and using the moment to blink the glaze from his eyes. How far'd you get? Uh, Stargate Jaffa transport rings. Hmm. Okay. Good start. Mac's eyes widened. You mean there's more? This caused Jack and his commanding officer to exchange a smirk. Oh yeah. Jack leads our primary team designated SG-1, Hammond proudly explained. It was obvious a bonded form between the two. MacGyver smiled in response. Just then an alarm sounded and red lights swirled off every wall in the base. Both airmen instinctually moved towards the spiral staircase set to the right along the conference room wall. With a wave of his hand, General Hammond invited Mac to follow. This should help you understand just what goes on here. MacGyver suspiciously narrowed his eyes as he followed the two to the steps. Okay. He hated not knowing. As they descended the black metal steps, MacGyver felt like he had entered a whole new world. He had been in a few secret underground bases before. Heck, he even had to break into one or two. This, however, this was different. Along most of the walls were large computer hard drives and monitoring equipment, all with flashing lights and wires. There were a few technicians hurrying back and forth in the low-lit room, each with a purpose. Across the main wall was a long window that took up its majority, mirroring the conference room above them. As Jack and Hammond approached the man sitting at the control panel against the window, Mac looked out at what he assumed had been a decommissioned missile silo. Completely concrete, with giant gray blasting doors on each side of the room. The reason was obvious. From the center of the room was a metal ramp that led to a huge metal ring that had an inner track that was spinning. It spun until it stopped to light one of the seven triangle designs that ran along the rim. Then, would start to spin again. Based on the designs he could make out along the inner ring, 
The civilian figured they were constellations that acted like a phone number the device was dialing to connect between planets. It reminded him of an old rotary phone. The center of the ring was covered with some sort of shield. He assumed it was to stop someone from going through. Or worse, something from coming through. Sergeant, unscheduled off-world activation. It's from P3X5238, sir. The address caught Jack's attention. That's Tilkin Daniel, isn't it? Just as the general nodded in agreement, the wormhole connected. All eyes turned to the gate that blasted a blue light from behind it and illuminated both the gate room as well as the control room. The airman at the control panel, Sergeant Walter Harriman, looked down at the monitor awaiting confirmation. Receiving GDO code. With that, Hammond looked out at the gate. Open the iris. As soon as the sergeant placed his hand on the palm reader, the shield covering spun open from the middle to reveal a standing pool of water that swayed and rippled sideways with the ring. MacGyver's face froze in frustrated confusion. This is the point in any dream where he would wake up. Once the science didn't make sense, the illusion would be over. This clashed with all the scientific knowledge he had ever known. Jack looked over to see how he was handling it. Suddenly, from out of the pool, four figures arrived. Two dressed in green military garb and black flak jackets. Weapons hanging from straps over their shoulders. Mac recognized the one as Daniel. The other two each had their own style that was like nothing MacGyver had seen before. The one, bearded, red-haired man, wore a reflective gray outfit with no distinct markings, while the other older, balding man's garb was in contrast with dark brown and tan cloth from head to toe. The upper part of the outfit had shoulder pads and a chest piece that seemed more for show than any practical reason. A carrier bag hung across his chest and carried an item of some bulk. Upon recognizing the group, both Jack and General Hammond headed down the steps and around to the gate room. MacGyver didn't wait for an invite and followed close behind. As the large blast door slid open, Jack was the first to enter. Hey boys, how goes the camping trip? Daniel was behind the two oddly dressed men and dipped his head in frustration. He had worked really hard to set up a meeting between the Tok'ra and the Tolan since they formed an alliance with the people of Earth through the SGC. Besides being the leading archeologist for the base, he also served as an unofficial goodwill ambassador for Earth, much to Jack's dismay. On more than one occasion, Daniel Jackson's desire to make friends put the entire team in harm's way. On this occasion, he had to negotiate the arrogant egos of the two races and find a way to form an alliance. Jack's humor wasn't helping. Could be better, Daniel reluctantly replied. The man dressed in brown stepped forward in an attempt to explain. Hi, Jack. George, we've been trying to... Just then, Jacob Carter's eyes locked on MacGyver walking up behind his brother. Who the heck is that? All eyes turned to Mac, who shyly raised his hand. Hi. The general answered on behalf of everyone. Everyone, this is Mr. MacGyver, Colonel O'Neill's brother. The Tok'ra, still confused, reached to shake Mac's hand as Jack moved out of the way. Since when? Hi. Oh, you've missed a lot, Jacob, Jack smirked. 
Daniel was next in line to greet their guest with an enthusiastic handshake. Hey, Mac, long time no see. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? The toll and dressed in all silver stood quiet and reserved, as if annoyed with pleasantries. Oh, uh, this is Omak of the Tollen. Hey, how are you? Mac asked as he extended his hand. The unimpressed man glanced down before answering. Fine, thank you. Mac glanced down at his hand to see if something was wrong with it. An uncomfortable beat passed before Daniel pressed on. And this is Tilk. The large, bald black man stepped forward from the group as the gate behind them shut off, causing the pool of water to dissipate. He wore the same type of green military uniform and flak jacket Daniel did. And though his posture conveyed a stoic demeanor, the smile stretched across his face was that of a sincere welcome. He respectfully nodded. It is an honor to meet you, MacGyver. I have read many stories of your adventures. The troubleshooter's eyes rose. Stories? File. He read your file, Jack translated. He had gotten used to interpreting for his teammate and friend. Hey, I like your, uh... Searching for the words, Mac pointed up to the gold oval snake symbol embedded on Tilk's forehead. Looking ahead in disgust, he replied, It is the symbol of the first prime of Apophis, a false god. Oh. Sensing he may have stepped on a nerve, Jack jumped in to explain. Tilk used to work for the bad guys. He's with us now. Cool. Trying to get to the matter at hand, Hammond asked, What brings you by, Jacob? Well, during our discussion with Omak and his people, we remembered a device we found a few years ago. Neither of us could decipher it, but Daniel took over explaining as Jacob took out the round gold orb the size of a bowling ball from his satchel. But, but Omak recognized the symbols as one of the four races we discovered in the repository. Based on what we know, we think it's the Furlings. Mac was completely lost. But his eyes locked on the orb, and he tipped his head to the side as he tried to make out the markings. Any idea what they mean? Daniel felt a kindred spirit in Mac's curious side. As far as I can tell, it says something like, The winds from the mountain, and the prize of the worthy. We haven't been able to open it yet. MacGyver took the orb from Jacob and turned it over in his hands. He looked at every line and marking, looking for a connection. Then he found a hole the size of a quarter at the bottom that looked out of place among all the designs. Any chance this has anything to do with how the gate works? Omak rolled his eyes as he let out a sigh of disgust. Uh, clearly we are wasting our time here. If we couldn't figure it out, these primitives certainly won't. Mac exchanged a look with Jack. Well, he's a real charmer. He turned back to address the arrogant, shiny-dressed man in front of him. I'm just asking because this is all new to me. I'm just trying to understand how the gate works. Carter could tell you, if she were here, the colonel proudly explained. Where is Sam anyway, Daniel asked. Washington. She's off explaining the black hole incident to the bigwigs. MacGyver's brow raised. Black hole incident? Oh, yeah. Uh, we had the black hole almost suck the planet through the gate last week. No biggie. 
Mac's eyes darted over to Daniel for confirmation, but Daniel winced as he looked down at the floor. This kind of thing happened more than he cared to share, and Jack's attempt at humor was undercutting the severity of it all. Omak kept his fingers interwoven behind his back. Can we please end this? Allow us to take the artifact back with us and... Now, hold on. Mac interrupted. What did the markings say? The winds from the mountain and the... And the prize from prize the... Prize of the worthy. Right. Both Daniel and Jacob nodded in agreement. Well... You think maybe this hole at the bottom is made to catch wind or air of some kind? The stubborn, insistent Tolan's anger started to break through. Please. We already thought of that and made an attempt before we came through the gate. The troubleshooter's face narrowed as he took a second to think. Well, maybe the wind wasn't strong enough. His eyes darted around the room before looking to General Hammond. Where do you keep your CO2 canisters? As the general pointed to the room next to the gate room, Jack barked, Siler! Within a second, a tall, lanky man matching Jack's build came rushing in from around the corner. Right here, sir. Air canisters? Third room down from the hall, sir. With a nod of thanks from Jack, Sergeant Siler was dismissed, and MacGyver looked back at the others as he instinctually moved out of the gate room and down the hall. The others followed close behind, wondering what the troubleshooter was up to. As he tucked the orb under one arm, he flipped the light on to a room stuffed with maintenance supplies. Tools and various machine parts covered the walls and shelves. He spotted three silver cylinders about four feet high in the back corner and headed towards them as he continued to scan the room. Jacob, do you mind handing me the hose to your left? Holding the same confused look on his face as the others, he quickly brought the long black hose over and stood back out of the way. Omak was the first to piece it together. I see. You think it's just a matter of pressure. As MacGyver laid one of the canisters down next to the orb and used his knife to cut a section of the hose to fit, he looked up. You got it. Omak rolled his eyes in defiance. It'll never work. We'll see. Reaching into his pocket, Mac took out his duct tape and used it to attach one end of the hose to the canister and the other to the underside of the orb. Okay, here goes. As he quickly turned the nozzle on the canister, a bump of air burst forth and popped the gold orb open like petals on a flower. Mac quickly turned the air off as the others approached to see what was on the inside. Daniel reached down to lift it off the ground and see the hundreds of metal shards inside, each with their own markings of a new language. Daniel's eyes glowed with the excitement of a child on Christmas morning. If it's okay, sir, I'd like to get started on this right away. I thought you might. He nodded. As Mac removed the tubing, a deep voice came out of Jacob, one others were ready for, but not the troubleshooter. Very impressive, Mr. MacGyver. Your species continues to surprise. Jumping back, Mac yelled, What the heck is that? Jacob bowed his head as the controlling voice reverted back to his own. I apologize. Selmac wanted to introduce himself. General Hammond was the first to respond to Mac's confused eyes as they darted around to the others. Jacob is a host to a race called the Tok'ra. Unlike the Gould, they share the body of the host equally. 
Jacob joined with the Tok'ra named Selmak a while ago and has been their liaison with us ever since. He turned to Omak and Jacob as Mac tried to wrap his head around this new information. Now, if you gentlemen will head upstairs, we can continue our debriefing in a moment. Mr. MacGyver, can I see you in my office? I have something I would like to discuss with you. Uh, yeah, you bet. Mac looked back at his brother as if to silently ask, what's next? Daniel caught the concerned look on Jack's face and decided to hang back as the others left the room. What's going on, Jack? What? What are you talking about? Come on, I can see it all over your face. Tell me what's on your mind. Jack turned and leaned on the counter, scattered with parts. Daniel followed his lead. I don't know, Daniel. I mean, it's nice having a brother and all, but... I don't know. What do I have in common with him? He seems too good to be true. He's got your curiosity. Brains like Carter. I don't have any idea what to talk to him about. Daniel smirked. What? Jack, you're more like him than you know. Really? You ever seen me make a rocket out of a paperclip and some gum? Well, no. I mean, Carter idolizes him. Yeah, I know. Wait, is that it? Are you jealous? Jack's head snapped toward him. What? Jealous? What are you talking about? Okay. Never mind. Daniel knew he was overstepping. Look, Jack, you're both good people. Leaders. And despite how much you downplay it, you're not as dumb as you pretend to be. Jack smirked as he let a moment of silence pass between them. This is a win. You deserve to have good things happen, Jack. Enjoy having a family. Just spend some time with them. I'm sure that if you make the effort, it'll work out. Back in Hammond's office, MacGyver sank back into the chair that faced the giant wooden shelf that took up the large space behind the general's matching desk. His eyes fixed on the red phone sitting in front of him as he tried to digest the mountain of information he'd been given. How many calls were made on that phone that dealt with the fate of the planet? The universe? After a minute, the side door opened and General Hammond made his way to his seat. So, how are you, son? You dealing with all this new information all right? Uh, trying. It's a lot to take in. Hammond smirked as he sat back. I could imagine it would be. I wanted to ask, in all your travels, have you ever run into anyone that you considered alien? The troubleshooter sat back and thought silently for a moment before it clicked. Uh, yeah, actually. A bunch of years ago, I was in a farming town and there was a traveling vacuum salesman. Odd little guy. I always dismissed the possibility, but now, 
Guess it's possible. He wasn't hostile, was he? Oh, no. No. Uh, sweet guy. A little weird. But sweet. The general rested his arms on his desk and readied himself for the next topic. MacGyver. There is more to bringing you here today than just revealing the Stargate program to you. Mac raised his eyebrows out of the curiosity of where this conversation could be going. I've read through your file and found it very impressive. Thank you, sir. You've done more to protect this country, this planet, than anyone will know. You don't look for glory or riches. You seem to just want to make the world a better place. A small, embarrassed smile formed on Mac's face in response. Your natural curiosity and ingenuity are invaluable traits that shouldn't be wasted. Wait a minute, MacGyver thought. He's not... So, with that being said, I'd like to formally invite you to join the Stargate program. All the color drained from Mac's face. Huh. The MacGyver SG-1 audio series is part of the Forever Adventure Network. It is written, performed, edited by Mac Jackson. Original music by Brian Brzezowski. Artwork by Nathan Shell and Jared Brown. Donations to PayPal at MacWJackson at Comcast.net. Join us on Facebook and Twitter at MacSG1Series. This series is dedicated to Richard Dean Anderson and everyone in the MacGyver and Stargate family. Thanks for joining the adventure. This is Adam of the Geeky Retro Nerd Show and I'm talking to whoever is listening out there. Like I say to my listeners, I never podcast faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. You just listen to Adam and take my advice on a cold, stormy night. Or any weather. Any weather, really. You just head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or any podcasting apps and listen to Geeky Retro Nerd Show. A child of the 80s, a teen of the 90s. (laughs) 